0: Now, we are in our final series through the book of Acts, which is entitled, Before Kings. As we look at going above and beyond your ability, where you see the Lord opening up doors for you to affect change and to be influential in people's lives that you thought you could never reach or that you would never have contact with. This morning's message is Before Kings. This is part four, but this is part four that is going to be broken into two-part series. So, Today and next Sunday is going to be part 4, 4.1 this morning, 4.2 uh, next uh, Sunday morning. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. This is before Kings point four, or excuse me, part 4.1. And point number 1, a lot of points here, but not too many this morning uh, after this. Uh, point number 1, don't be caught off guard. Now, this is important for us to, uh, I, I think... In our everyday Christian lives, well actually, scratch think, I know, we need to not be caught off guard by the things that will come our way. So often we're reactionary instead of proactive. We we react to a situation instead of going into it knowing what we're going to do or called to do or how we're to go about what we're called to do. Uh, Let me ask you this question right off the bat. Have you ever noticed that in your own life how things can come back and visit you time and time again? They'll visit you once and then they'll revisit you again. And then they'll come back around again. Uh, It might be the same situation with the same people or the same type of situation with different people. The same feelings uh, or the same spiritual attack in that area of weakness that you may have. Then you might have the same condemning thoughts The same regrets because of the same outcome. And then you'll find that things are cyclical where they come on cycles in your life. And do we find ourselves caught off guard every time that that particular thing comes around? Or are we prepared for it? Or are we ready? Have we purposed in our hearts to not do what we did last time because we regretted what we did last time? How we responded in a particular situation. You know, did I lose my cool when, when that, uh, that particular thing happened? You know, for me, uh, you know, the, yesterday, uh, my daughter accidentally knocked off a, a lamp off of, our, of our, our side table by our bed, smashed it. And do I respond in the right way or do I respond in the wrong way? You bump your head on the corner of that cabinet door. And you said last time, if I ever bump my head on that corner again, I won't say the things that I said. And then do you do the same thing? We need to understand that in life, this journey that we're on, we are going to have a lot of familiar situations. A lot of things that we're like, this seems really familiar to me. Did I go through something like this already? And you would probably say, yes, I think I may have. We have to understand this morning that things in our spiritual lives are on a cycle. They they come and they go and we are revisited by things that maybe we didn't want to be revisited by. But nonetheless, they come back. And how do we handle those things? What do we know uh, about the word of God that we can apply in our lives differently this time? And see, by knowing that things will come around again, we can, have, uh, we can, with the strength of the Lord, break the cycle, break that cycle, and have a different outcome. With no regrets, no condemning thoughts, no feelings of depression, Facing our attacks, knowing that we have victory through Jesus. Because Satan doesn't stop, he doesn't rest. He stands before the Lord day and night, accusing us to him. You see what he did, you see what she did, she did it again. You know, it was way before Britney Spears. Oops, up, I did it again, and it happened again and again. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. It's just something that we will see, oh man, why do I lose my temper in that area? Or why do I think lustful thoughts at that point? Or why do I feel discouraged right here? Or why do I feel depressed and lonely over there? And we'll see that things will come around again and again. Do we get worn out and beat down because, oh man, I just can't do this anymore? You know, this is like the fifth time I've had to experience this. I don't think I can go on anymore. I hope not. I hope that you find the strength in the Lord to raise up as He raises up the standard, as He helps you through any situation. See, on the path to fulfilling what God has called us to do, we will have to overcome many obstacles and face much adversity. But please, people, realize this morning that God will call you to do something that is impossible. What? Yes! For you watching watching right now, for those of you here at Vision City Church, for those of you that are going to listen to this or watch this later, God will and does call people to do things that are impossible. You're like, well, why is he calling me to do something that's impossible? Well, listen, it's impossible for you to do by yourself. But by God's grace and his empowerment, we will rise to that challenge and find what it says. To be true in Romans eight thirty seven, where he says, "Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, more than conquerors." Not just skate by, not just barely cross the finish line, but you are more than a conqueror. So you, we, so you, we, us, we need to realize that is true. In Luke chapter twenty one verse twelve, Jesus said to his disciples. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Now, by way of long introduction, Paul is going to be revisited by the same group of people that tried to kill him. They lied about him to the former Roman governor, Felix, and they want to see him condemned by the new ruler. So, if we were to do a little teaser trailer for the upcoming film, you could picture some guy in a deep voice saying, will Paul concede? Will he be shut down? Will no more books be written in the New Testament? Well, let's wait and see, and let's look at it in verse 1, Acts 25. It says, Now when Festus had come to the province... After three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Remember, Paul, he went to Jerusalem, preached about the gospel. The moment he said anything about the Gentiles, the Jewish leaders and the people went crazy, they tried to kill him. And then uh, Lysias, the Roman governor, Roman uh, commander, came down and, and, uh, and saved him from that mob that was trying to kill him. And then remember, those 40 men or so that vowed not to eat or drink unless Paul was killed, you know, uh, said to the religious leaders, hey, Send for Paul, say that you want to inquire further about him and then as he's on his way, we'll jump him, we'll ambush him, we'll kill him. So Paul is now standing before, remember the Roman governor Felix and Felix, as we saw last week, never got around to making a decision about Jesus Christ. And we know that two years now have passed between chapters 24 and 25, which is pretty crazy on the, on the timeline. So Festus is now the governor. He has come to the province. After three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Verse 2, Acts 25. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, saying, or asking rather, a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So, again, as I mentioned, two years have gone by between chapters 24 and 25. And I just have to ask the question, what happened to the 40 men that two years ago promised, vowed, that they wouldn't eat or drink until Paul was dead? (laughs) I don't know what may have happened to them. Either they ate or they died off. Lying, stealing, conniving, and killing. These are the marks of the enemies, of all enemies of Christ. So again, they're saying, hey, this ambush tactic didn't work out the first time, so let's do it again. The new governor, Festus, he's fresh in there. He wants to make a good impression with, it, impression with his constituents. And so he, he's meeting with these guys and they say, hey, call Paul to Jerusalem and then we'll kill him again. We'll try to kill him again. In John 10, verse 10, speaking on the subject of lying, stealing, conniving, and killing being the marks of all enemies of Christ, Jesus said in John 10.10, speaking of Satan, that he does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. You would be maybe intrigued by wondering how it would be possible for the God who loved so much to be hated so much and his followers to be treated the same. The God who sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world for all mankind, the God who loved more than anything or anyone, is the one hated the most. The Jews aren't asking for Felix, excuse me, for Festus to uh, take legal action, but they're rather asking him for illegal assistance. And so often we'll see Militant, undermining, illegal, aggressive, and even violent action taken to stop the work of the Lord through his followers. But in verse 4, Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Verse 5, therefore he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And verse 6 says, And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down from Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. So, Festus is getting wined and dined by these anti-Jesus, anti-Paul lobbyists, and he's soaking it up. Ten days, eleven days, more than ten days, it says he is hanging there with these religious leaders. Now, it's hard to be a legitimate honest politician in any century, it appears. With groups and people pressuring you and lobbying you and trying to get what they want, things do not change. In James 4, verse 4, it says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And for our decision making processes, it would behoove us to understand that you are either going to please God or you're going to please man. And you have people all over the place that are pressuring you to do one thing or the other thing, but there's only one God who has given you His one and only word to show you how to live righteously, how to have self control, and how to not be under the impending judgment of God in the future. As Paul so simply laid out before the former Roman governor Felix he talked to him about how do you live righteously how do you have self-control and how do you remove yourself from the judgment of God I think so often in the church and it doesn't matter who you are maybe in your job or at your school where you work your friends your family where you can be pressured into doing things that you don't want to be doing Things that are not right, that are not pleasing to the Lord. But you know what? That too is on a cycle as well. Because it comes around again and around again and around again. And you'll be faced with the same situation time and time again. Now, just by way of more of a rhetorical question where you don't need to raise your hand. I mean, how many of you here this morning have faced the same difficulties over and over and over again? I I, I think that's all of us that are here so this is speaking truth, this is speaking really realistically about what happens in our life where we face the same things over and over and over again. Some of us get stuck in a rut. It's like if you are, you know, an MMA fighter or a boxer or somebody and you know that your opponent has this wicked left hook and you just are so weak on guarding that combo and so you just get your clock clean over and over and over again. That left hook, ching, ching, you know, every single time. And we get stuck in that place where we get beat down with the same attack and we need to break that cycle. Paul is standing before these people that keep accusing him over and over and over again, trying to kill him over and over and over again. He's facing the same discouragement over and over and over again. Just like we face the same things over and over and over again in our own lives. Are we getting better each time around or are we stuck in the same place each time it comes around? We need to be aware of these things because it happened with the Apostle Paul. It happened with Jesus Christ himself and it happens with us every single day. So that's why point number one was don't be caught off guard because it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when is it going to happen. And when it happens, are we ready to fight victoriously? Are we ready to overcome? I hope that we are. And I hope that you find encouragement to do so if you have not yet. This morning. In verse 7, it says, When he had come, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood about, and laid many serious complaints against Paul. You might be thinking, man, come on, like get a new routine. Stop saying the same things over and over again. Can you imagine how annoying and how disheartening it would be to have somebody lie about you over and over and over and over again? But it says these lies which they could not prove. In verse 8, while he answered for himself, Paul said, Neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. I haven't done anything against the Jews. I haven't done anything against the temple. I have not done anything against Caesar. Caesar. Paul was truly innocent of these untrue accusations. And then we have to look at the spiritual implications as this as well. We know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. How many times a day are you accused in your mind? How many times a day are you accused you know, of things that you've done in your past? Things that you've blown and made mistakes? You know, whatever. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But how many of us don't recognize that those things are lies? They're not true. The condemning thoughts, the things that we've been forgiven of, the things that were water under the bridge in our past because we have become what? New creations in Christ. The old things have passed away. All has become new. But yet we'll get discouraged and we'll become disheartened and we'll become even apathetic and depressed and just feel like I can't do this anymore because look at these things coming into my mind, these lies, these accusations. And this is real. And we all struggle with this in one way, shape, or form. One way or another, we battle with these things, these accusations, these lies. You're not going to make it through this one. It's too late for you. You're too far gone. You're too weak. You've blown it too many times. They're not going to want you back in their life. They, you, You, you know what? You've done the unpardonable sin. You've committed, God's not interested in you. You might as well just give in to sin because you know what? You tried the whole Jesus thing and it just didn't work out. Now, did it? Lies, accusations, discouragement, things that are meant to trip you up, to impede you. Oh, you can't do that. That's a lie because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You're in the worst situation of your life and it's only going to get more worse. Wait a second. The Lord tells me that all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Look at you. You're a filthy, sinner, rotten, disgusting. How could you? Wait a second. Wait a second. If you confess my, if I confess my sins to the Lord, He's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The lie and the truth. In a physical context, Paul was dealing with these lies and accusations continuously. People going around spreading rumors about him, lying about him, accusing him. We know that that's satanic. We know that that's from Satan because Jesus said Satan's the father of all lies. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. And so here we are in a spiritual context looking at what is happening here in the life of Paul saying, what do we do? What do we need to do differently to overcome these things? Are we ready for when the lies come in? Are we ready for when the discouragement comes in? Or are we caught off guard every single time and then fall into that cycle again? Have you gotten to the point? Because I know I have have in areas of my life in the past, and I think that even in the future, you know, we'll battle with things where we just get to the point where we say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of going the same way every single time. And that's where the Lord gets our attention and you can break that cycle. Maybe it was, you know, my parents did this, their parents did this, and now I'm the third generation doing the same thing. You know, you talk about generational things that happen where family members beget family members that do the same type of thing, but the cycle breaks for the believer in Jesus Christ. That's when the, 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 the reaping what you sow, the, that, that, that whole evil environment and all of that can end and that stuff can be you can, you can be set free. You can, you can start sowing righteousness and reaping you know, good things out of your life. You don't have to continue down the path that you may even be on this morning. You can change. You can go a different way. Paul says, I haven't done anything and I think we need to understand, one, we need to walk blamelessly before the Lord and make sure that we aren't doing anything that's evil and that's wrong. But then secondly, if we have sinned, that we ask the Lord to forgive us and that we ask the Lord to cleanse us and that we realize because of what God's word says that we are forgiven, we are cleansed and we need to recognize when the lies of Satan come in to accuse us, to get us down that path because you know what, you don't normally just go right off the cliff. It's usually a bunch of little things, a little here, here, here. Here, here. And all of a sudden, it's like a domino. It's like, do, 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 do. And then it's, you know? And then it's, uh, you know, and then, then, why am I? And then you fall, and you're in sin. And the Lord's like, warning flag, warning flag, warning. You know, it's like, it's like the proverbial warning, you know, uh, sound on any, any movie. It's like, warning, 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 warning. You know, it's usually what happens before you crash and burn. You know, the little flag, hey, You know, the Holy Spirit, hey, no, 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 red flag. And then sometimes it's like a gigantic flag and it's like, hey, wake up, buddy. No, that's not a good idea. Recognize that Satan has come to rob, kill and to destroy and then stomp on that with the power of Jesus Christ because you are victorious through him. We have victory because of him. So don't walk out the doors today being like, oh, man, oh, uh, uh." no, that the Lord is with you. Know that you are greater and know that he can help you. And he will and he has. And he'll continue to do so. In verse 9, Festus, it says, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Now, just as a side note, wanting favor by giving favors is not the favor you want. You do not want to be caught in. Hey, do me a favor. I'll do you a favor. And when you are compromising your integrity and your and your character, be aware of that. Because making decisions that are right can be far far different than making decisions that are right for a particular group of people. So don't be caught off guard. Satan is very subtle. He'll come in subtly. He'll come in blatantly. But either way, don't be caught off guard. You know the areas that you're weak in. And two other entities do as well. Satan and God. For most human beings, we know we're weak in a certain area. We pretend that we're not weak and that we can quit anytime and that we have it under control. I don't need any help. I'm okay. That means that you're really messed up. If I just be frank with you this morning. Oh man, I can quit anytime I want. I just don't really want to. It's not that big of a deal or whatever it might be. So we have a natural thing inside of us where if we have an issue, we downplay it. It's not that big of a deal. And that's where Satan, who knows that same issue, will seek to exploit you. And he'll continue to hit you with that left hook over and over and over again until something changes. See, God knows that area of weakness in our lives and he desires to help us. And he doesn't condemn us thinking like, what's your problem, man? Why can't you block the left hook? No, he's like, let me help you. Get your arms up. This is how you do it. This is what my word says. This is what will empower you. This is what will strengthen you. This is what you can draw upon. Mind you, it's not going to be an emotional experience because emotional experiences don't last, but my word endures forever. Hold on to it. Apply it. It's the word of God that gives you this sword to fight effectively in the spiritual battle. Point number two, after point number one, which was don't be caught off guard, we have another don't, which is don't be unwise. I thought about calling point number two don't be stupid, but I thought that that was a little too much uh, this morning. Matthew 10, verse 16, it says, Jesus speaking, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be wise. Know what's going on. Be aware. It's been said, it's been said, and I don't know who said it, but basically that, you know what? A wise person learns from other people's mistakes. A smart person learns from his own mistakes. And a stupid person doesn't learn at all. We need to be in that smart to wise category. We've all been under the first category. We all have. We've all been in that place where we've said, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe that they totally suckered me into this conversation again. I cannot believe it. I'm such a whatever, you know. I can't believe this. We don't want to do that anymore. When it comes to sin, know that sin's going to come in to try to consume all of us. When it comes to situational uh, type of things where we're going to find ourselves, are we suckered into it? Do I respond in the flesh or am I staying in the spirit? Do I need to leave this conversation? Do I need to leave this room? What do I need to do? Don't be unwise is point number two. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves where people are going to want to tear you up. Therefore, be wise as serpents. Be cunning. Be aware of what's happening. Don't just be like, doop do do, 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 do or whatever. You whatever. Know, you don't want to do that. Be wise. But then it says, be harmless as doves. And I feel like this dichotomy is something that is only accomplished supernaturally. I know for me in my own life, balancing not being taken as, or not being taken advantage of with maintaining your spiritual witness is very hard. Where your flesh wants to come out and be like, you know what, let me tell you something you know what, nobody does this to me. You are being such a whatever it might be and I don't know who you think you are or what you think I am that you can do this and all of a sudden, you know, I'm losing my witness. I'm, I'm getting into the flesh. When he says as wise as a serpent but as harmless as doves means know what's going on. Pray for that wisdom from God. Have discernment which comes from the Lord. But don't get in the flesh and start acting in the flesh. Be gentle as a dove so that you might maintain your witness of a loving God who is concerned for the individual that is trying to rip you off. concerned for the individual that is trying to destroy you. And that might be a very strong tension where you just want to be suckered into the, well, you know what? I'll tell you what business this is and blah, 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 or whatever. You know, you need to be in that place where we're not unwise. So I can see what's going on. I get it. I know how the ball bounces. I know how the cookie crumbles or however metaphor you want to use to be, I understand what's happening here. But at the same time, I want to maintain a place where I can evangelistically minister to the person that's trying to take advantage of me. Now, obviously, uh, that word is very generic, take advantage of. If somebody's trying to beat you with a baseball bat, um, that's a difference. You can defend yourself, and you can pull out your martial arts and your kung fu, and you might not know karate, but you know crazy. That might work too. Uh, you know, that that's one thing. But when, in dealing with, like conversational type of things and situational things that obviously aren't, da- you know, where you're in danger for your life. Um, we need to be in a place where, hey, I know what's going on. I'm praying for wisdom. As one of, you know, uh, my mentors said wisdom is the chiefest thing. We pray for that all the time, you know, and, and we, 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 we know what's going on, but we're gentle as doves. So don't be unwise. Paul wasn't unwise in dealing with the Roman governor. He wasn't unwise in dealing with his Accusers. So in verse 10, we'll see this played out. Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong. As you very well know, verse 11, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Caesar appellate, the the two words that any Roman citizen could utter when he felt that he was getting a raw deal in the local court system. I appeal to Caesar... You guys are trying to take advantage of me. You're trying to, to, you know, send me off to Jerusalem so that they can ambush me and kill me. You know, Festus is more interested in in doing favors for his his people that are influential in his his jurisdiction. I am not going to do this. No doubt Paul was tired of being a political pawn of the Roman governors. First Felix and now Festus. In verse 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appeal to Caesar? To Caesar, you shall go. Paul knew his rights. He knew what was going on. There's nothing wrong with Americans knowing their rights. It's nothing wrong with understanding the legalities of things that happen in our country and how you can best protect yourself and know how to keep yourself safe. Paul was that man. Not to be unwise. Don't be unwise in your business dealings, don't be unwise in your social settings. Know what's going on. Do not play with the fire. You will get burned. Watch out. Be, be gentle as a dove, but be as cunning as a serpent. Back in Acts chapter 21, verse 13, Paul, when he had mentioned to his, his, his family of believers that he was on his way, man, I feel called to go to Jerusalem. This is where I'm going. He says, In verse 13 of Acts 21, Paul says, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul was ready to lay down his life. He told them, hey guys, don't weep, don't break my heart. Come on, I need to do what I need to do. My grandfather, if you guys don't know this, I'm actually second generation born in America from Sweden. And... uh, I, I'm a, a little bit more of a, of a tan Swede, I guess you could say, 50%. But in the wintertime, I'm, I'm whiter than white. I, I'm Swedish. Um, and that's the way that it works. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but coming to a new country, uh, my, my grandfather, uh, he, uh, uh, we we're from a, a place in Sweden called Dalarna. It's spelled D-A-L-A-R-N-A. And they make those little wooden Swedish horses if you had seen them. But growing up, I heard this a million times because he used to tell my mom this a million times. He used to say, you got to do what you got to do. You just do what you got to do, and you take care of it. And that was something that I grew up with, where you just do what you have to do. Stop making excuses. Stop you know, saying, well, this happened and these other variables and all this kind of thing. No, just do what you need to do. Take care of it. See, Paul was a very wise man. And he was a very courageous man, but he was not an unwise man. He wasn't being reckless with his life. Man, I'm just ready to go and die and whatever. Well, no, he was very wise. He was very courageous. He was very bold. But he knew that he was to do what he was called to do. Sometimes in the name of courage, we can do some pretty unwise things. Paul was not reckless with his life, though he said he was ready to lay it down for the sake of Jesus. I think if you can choose which hill to die on, how about pick the last one? Some people recklessly expose themselves to danger. That's not wise. I know as I walk across the 405 that the Lord's gonna protect me. You know, I, come on, man. Don't be ridiculous. This isn't to say that God doesn't call us to do, to, uh, to do dangerous things or difficult things, but rather it's an acknowledgement of the need to have some good old common sense. I think if more people had that today, we'd be better off. Know your rights. Be smart about what's going on. So point number one, again, don't be caught off guard. Point number two is don't be unwise. Be aware. In verse 13, after some days, it says, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. Now, by way of historical background, this King Agrippa is Herod Agrippa II. His great-grandfather, Herod, was the same Herod that ordered all of the children under two years of age to be killed during the time of Jesus' birth. Because remember, he was threatened by this king, this Messiah. So that was his grandfather. So Herod Agrippa that is with Bernice in verse 13, his grandfather killed all the young children. His great-uncle was the one that had John beheaded in prison. His father ordered the death of James. His wife was Bernice, who was also his sister. And Bernice was Drusilla's sister, who was the wife of Felix. So we see quite the mixed up family affair here. And some people will read things in the Bible and be like, how can the Bible like say these things in it? And how can they have all these terrible things that happen in it? And you know, how is this good? Well, it's not good. And if I might just add something as a little you know side note not everything that is described in the bible is prescribed by the bible okay so not everything that's described is prescribed but nonetheless this is a historical uh, historically acumen document and we read it with knowledge of the surrounding circumstances and so verse 14 when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. This is Agrippa II, saying, There is a certain man left prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, verse 16... It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. It was customary for, you know, under Roman law for the accused to face his accusers. Therefore, verse 17 When they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. And this is what Festus is telling King Agrippa the Second. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed. But verse 19 had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. (laughs) Right there. Jesus died and has rose again. He's risen again. Isn't that the issue even today? Isn't that pretty interesting? Jesus. He's talking about some guy named Jesus who died and he rose again. And if you're looking for a great book on that, Lee Strobel has written a great book. You can check that out as well. Verse 20, And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man for myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. Uh, No doubt, Festus was dressed in his his crimson Roman robe. You can picture that in your mind. Uh, In that particular setting, there were the legionnaires. Maybe you've wondered, what is a legionnaire? Well, they're the tallest of the Romans, um, and they were the special elite guards in their fancy uniforms there. the who 's who from the society was there as in any king 's court. And this may have been taken place may uh, even taken place in the arena there in Caesarea, where you can see it even today, which is pretty cool. And if we ever make it to Jerusalem and to Israel, which I hope we can, pray that we can as a church we 'll go to that very place. And then there were king, and, uh, king Agrippa and Bernice in their royal robes with great pomp, they came in, pompous. And now as the soldiers were dispatched to retrieve Paul, verse 24, Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found out that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. And there is the truth. Paul had done nothing worthy of death. And I think we need to understand that too as Christians. Though our sins may be red as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. The accuser, you deserve to die, you're gonna die, you're gonna pay the price for all your sins, you're going to hell. Listen, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We've been forgiven, we've been cleansed. And so when the lies of the enemy come in, recognize what the truth is. There's nothing worthy of death because Jesus already died on the cross. He already paid the price for us. We are free. We are forgiven. And as we conclude in the last two verses this morning, he says, I have nothing certain to write my Lord concerning him. Festus tells King Agrippa, I don't know what to write to Caesar. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after examination has taken place, I may have something to write for it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. And so next week, we'll see before Kings 4.2, as we will see point three, which will be don't be ashamed, and point number four, which is don't underachieve, as we continue our series before Kings in the book of Acts.